0: We're joined today by Louise Phillips Forbes. For more than 27 years, Louise has been an industry leader in the New York City real estate market. With career sales in excess of $2.5 billion, Mm -hmm. she's considered one of the elite power brokers in Manhattan. A four-time winner of Halstead Properties' esteemed Broker of the Year Award in the Park Avenue office, Louise has also been acknowledged as the number one listing broker company-wide. She's developed a significant following among developers, homebuyers, and sellers throughout Manhattan. From the Upper West Side and Upper East Side to the West Village, Tribeca, and Wall Street, she proudly serves prominent New Yorkers. When Louise isn't negotiating deals, she enjoys life as a wife and hockey mom to her two sons. She loves spinning, surfing with the family at Montauk, and supporting the arts by serving on multiple boards.
1: Now... Let's welcome Louise to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. Hey, Louise. Thanks for being my co-host today. You and I were talking a little bit prior to the start of the show. Always fun to have folks that specialize in Manhattan on the radio. It's a big market for us. We have a lot of great coaching clients there. Always loved uh, hearing what's going on in the front lines of some of the most expensive uh, properties in the world. So, Louise, thank you very much for being my co-host.
2: My pleasure. So grateful to be here.
1: So you and I let's just jump right in, cool?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um there aren't very many people that are from Manhattan. And I know you're originally from Tennessee, right? So that works does that work born to your raised. advantage the fact that you're yeah, born and raised, right? So born um, and, raised. and most of the, right, and that does that work to your I mean, New York is all about, Manhattan is all about basically international relo and relo in general. So the fact that you have been able to be successful in a new market probably is a benefit versus, say, for example, you know, you've never relocated, never been to a new market, what percent of of the clients you work with are you seeing nowadays are the international buyers? Because like two, three years ago, that was a lot of the folks that were buying the Manhattan properties.
2: Well, after almost three decades, uh, the evolution of my business, um, you know, Manhattan is, truly a melting pot, which is something that I was completely drawn to growing up with, I would say, vanilla ice cream in Nashville, Tennessee. You have a rainbow mm-hmm. of, of flavors of individuals that create the energy of this great city. And today, I would say my, my business is between 15 and 17% international.
1: Fifteen, okay, great. So that is actually down, or am I incorrect about that from, say, two, three years ago in terms of the city in general?
2: Uh, I think the media – I think what's happened in our market is that we truly now are an international platform, and Mm -hmm. we've always had a, a specific market of International buyers that were interested in absorbing our product and buying "quote unquote" a piece of the rock. Um, I think that what really happened in 2012, 13, 14, and and at the the after the Great Recession, the international market sort of to shelter money. They were doing these deals at 88 million and 44 million numbers that were really about preserving fleeting cash from another country that was challenged, and that was a a misconception because I don't think we are more than 15 to 20% of the market. That doesn't mean that a one development project may attract a very, very strong international clientele.
1: Well, let's talk about that because you uh, have been part of 30 luxury residential projects and developments. So that's obviously become a big part of your business, and that's kind of the dream scenario for anybody selling in a market like yours is that you get to sell uh, that type of property. How did you get started in that? And give us kind of a snapshot of what's going on for new developments now.
2: Sure. So, so I'm going to start with how, how my business grew into that, um, mm-hmm. something that was very, very important to me. Um, and, you know, let's just remember about what our business is. We are in a business that is a business of people and so I did not want to deviate from a massive development project that would be a three-year selling cycle where I do the same thing over and over and over as an entrepreneur one of the great things that we get to do is that no day is ever the same and so the what well, just like all my business it it came through a referral where a developer had a site under control in the West Village and he had an architect that had created 74 studios and one bedrooms and I you know he said they need a broker can you help him they're ready to go and I looked at what he had and I said under no circumstance will you be able to build this? We have to start over. And trust me and have faith in the process, we ended up building 22 three-bedrooms and two-bedrooms, and we sold them off of floor plans twice as much money than what they were slated to sell when he was trying to figure it out himself. So just like an individual who a friend of mine introduced me to somebody who wants to sell their single home, we ha- that is how... my business grew, which was through introductions and personal connections, and so it it just happened to be that was a development project which launched that portion of my career.
1: So we have a a lot of coaching clients, like I said, in the city, and we have a lot of coaching clients around the country that are interested in getting in developments, and I've always suggested to them that when they're approaching developers, they can't just go there as a listing agent. They have to almost look at themselves as a partner and bring more value than just their ability to, you know, maybe initiate a sale and put it in the MLS. And that sounds exactly like what you're doing. You're, you're almost entering into these relationships with the idea that, okay, Mr. Seller or Mr. Developer, this might be where you're missing the market. Am I overstating it? Or help the listeners understand, like, why, why a developer chooses you, because you're incredibly successful that. Sure, at sure.
2: Listen, uh, why a developer chooses me is actually going to be quite similar to why a seller, an individual seller. And if you, I think the, the things that new brokers and even myself, the most important asset you have is yourself. And having faith in who you are and carrying yourself with the integrity. I mean, I come from a philosophy where I personally Don't feel like I'm a salesperson. I'm an educator. That is my role. I'm an educator for my developer. I'm an educator for my sellers, my buyers. I'm also a connector. And for me, I am so relationally driven. My husband kind of makes fun of me and says that I care about the bad relationships. And and the truth is, is that I have entrenched myself in so every one of my developers lives personally, professionally that I'm one-stop shop. I they would not make a decision without me. They say, "Hey, I'm about to put an offer in on this. What can I get?" I've stepped I've gone and seen one piece of one apartment of a 50 unit building and sat at a restaurant on a paper napkin with my with my um with my developer literally trying to figure out what I can get for those apartments. And he shook hands on a 50 or $80 million decision 10 minutes later. That still freaks me out. And it's (laughs) establishing the trust. It's knowing your inventory. It's building a team of people that can help be of service to execute on what your vision is. I bring together and match, make, the right architect for the right location. Um, I have also found that I, I have lost business to brokers that, that talk, that run the bigger numbers when the fact is that the numbers aren't there yet. But having faith and creating sort of faith in the process. Once the concept of a building is developed with the partnership of a visual architect or a renowned interior designer, sometimes you can start to really push the envelope financially, but you have to establish that conservative place for them to underwrite it to start.
1: And that is not
2: talking about. Go ahead.
1: Here's what I'm hearing you say. Here's what I'm hearing you say. Like, really, when you're approaching a developer and you want to differentiate yourself, what I'm hearing you say is that you have made yourself an expert on. Even some of the meat and potato things, the finishes, the how the develop, what the you know how the developers going to work the floor plans, what you know has worked in the past, what people are really looking for. Because when you're dealing with really New York City, but most markets where you're going to deal with multi-million dollar properties, those owners or those buyers are generally housing enthusiasts, and a lot of them, especially in New York City, they're going to have experience either owning or living in homes all over the world. In some cases. And so their tastes are going to be more evolved than, say, for example, maybe what the developers are seeing. And so when you're developing or you're working with the developer, you have to kind of say, hey, guy, you want to go this direction. It might cost a little bit more, but you're going to be this much more competitive or you're going to be ahead of the market. The market's going to be, you know, the buyers are going to be saying, well, everything else is the same except for this X, Y, Z building, and they really went the extra mile and, you know, did this little extra thing. That's what I'm hearing you say, Correct.
2: That would be, a, certainly, you're much better. See, I need your coaching to help me say what I need to say.
1: No, but, well, well, no, yes, but you're I, understood, I understood what you were saying, and, and but that's, listeners, I hope you guys are getting, what happens a lot of times is agents, as you know, get intimidated by developers, especially, as you indicated, they're dealing with, you know, tens of millions of dollars and on the rest of it. It's intimidating, no doubt. Uh, and so we're afraid to actually criticize them or give them suggestions. But the irony or is is
0: they truth. will
1: actually hire you because you do that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the flip side, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Lift service is not the way to go.
1: That's right. Okay, good. So let's talk a little bit more. I have in my notes here that, um, you know, and Gina wanted me to ask this, Uh, about, because she said you brought this up in your pre-interview, so I thought this might be and I don't know where I'm going to go with this question, so let's see how this goes. She said uh, your your 9-11 experience and how Mm. that affects the way you do business is that something you want to talk about?
2: I I think one of the things that I shared with her was I went, you know when we were, everyone knows whether you're in New York City or not exactly where we were, that moment that took place, and over the three or four days after 9-11, and I was trying to figure out, you know, who I had lost, what was happening to... I had a development project on Beach Street in Tribeca launching on September 12th, um, wow. and I had three buildings in contract with buyers, some of which were, set, were at the World Trade Center. So well, I... I had this, I just literally could not get out of bed with my husband just trying to think about what we could do and take actions. And I said something to him that he was, that, that rang so true to my heart, that my home is where the, is the base upon which the rest of my life is built from. And I had really owned that philosophy in my business and how I treat. I feel like it's a privilege to be a part of this process for individuals, whether you're buying or you're selling. And it is such an intimate experience, and you really get an insight to their everyday life, which is why I've become so close to so many of my clients, one of which set my husband and I up on a blind date. So, <laughs> so that was That's great. that was what I said to to Gina, which she, you know, Held on to that thought because it really was me articulating what was my truth.
1: Well, but let, let me slow you down, okay? So we, this is arguably the most listened to radio show podcast specifically for realtors out there, now over 100,000 regular listeners. And I think one of the reasons they listen is, A, because we have superstar guests like you, but B, because they know I'm going to pull out the tactical, practical information to make it so that they can walk away from listening to the radio show with actual you know, things that they can apply immediately to help themselves, be in a position to help others and make money. And I know that's your intention of doing today's interview. So you just said something else that I don't think you realize how important it is, and I want you to help me drill down on it, Okay. Go. You said your mindset after 9-11 changed, this is what I heard you say, about hmm. your, not just your marketplace but your, your sense of community with regards to where you live and, and how you treat clients and all the rest of it. I need you to make that practical for me. I need you to break it down so you can let these guys know exactly what you do. You know, we're talking about, sounds like we're talking about centers of influence and past client type things. Sounds like we're talking about community involvement. So, like, I know you're involved in arts things. So when you're at the arts things, for example, what do you specifically do and say to network and to get folks to want to do business with you, right? That's what the listeners want to hear. You're obviously really good at what you do, but they want to know the secret sauce. Like if they were sitting on your shoulder listening to what you said, what would they hear? Does that make sense?
2: Got it. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to start, I'm just going to backtrack just a a smidgen because when I moved here, I moved to be a dancer. I had zero Rolodex. So for the new agents that are listening, you don't need to have a Rolodex. You know, I looked at my own life and I, you know, and I recommend we all look into your own life and you network within your own sphere of influence. I again, when I say my home is the base upon the rest of my life, uh, my community, my children's school, Soul Cycle, I'm an avid spinner. I connect with all those people I work out with, and I actually execute a tremendous amount of business, but that's not really my intention. My intention is to be a part of a community. One of the things that I love. Okay.
1: Louise, let's, you, you just said something genius, and I don't want it to get by the listeners, and I want to make sure that we make it really clear. You guys, listen to what she just said. She said, do what you love doing and just be yourself while you're doing it, and naturally and organically, real estate will come up as a topic. She is involved in the arts. You know, We talk a lot on the radio show how we used to, when Julie and I sold real estate, Julie's a, you know, she was a professional musician and played in an orchestra. <laughs> we get business from that. So when you do what you love doing – around people that also have the same passion and interest, you're naturally and organically going to feel comfortable. It's not like you're going to be a fish out of water. And real estate, especially in Manhattan, is always a conversation topic. And then it takes, like, no time whatsoever for the, all the gals and, well, I'm sure guys too, in the spin class to all of a sudden seeing Louise as the real estate lady, and they're going to ask her after the class, and they're going to go up and ask her questions. And so Absolutely. when you guys put – right, but that's and, the practical it is, takeaway from – yeah, go ahead, sorry. It
2: is the practical, but, you know, it, it doesn't – it could be my son's hockey team. It could be my son's mm-hmm. school. It could be church. It could be, you know, I eat, live, and breathe real estate, but most of all, I live my life with and for my family. And I, And real estate, being the business of people, it's not really – the secret sauce is not so much – promotion is it is attraction. You know, I treat, you know, my goal every day is to treat people the way I want to be treated, whether it's another broker next to me and nothing feels better. If I'm going to lose a piece of business, I hope and pray that I lose it to a rock star that I respect. And, you know, buyers and sellers, they come today and they're gone tomorrow, but we have each other. So investing in your industry colleagues and gaining the respect and generosity of knowledge will come back
1: tenfold. Well, and just just to put a period at the end of the previous sentence, guys, listen. A lot of you are fearful of uh, centers of influence, past clients, and doing all these types of things. A lot of you guys, especially if you're new in the industry and you're saying, you heard her say, Tennessee moved to Manhattan. Trust me when I tell you there could not have been a harder market, especially – from a gal from Tennessee, it would be like Julie and I from Columbus, Ohio, moving to Manhattan. Trust me when I tell you that that is completely and totally a, a foreign place, Nashville to Manhattan. I mean, can you guys imagine that? So, but what she did, just to everyone's very clear, is she just essentially said, I lo- I'm a dancer. I do these things. She joined them. She participated in them. So it, it, she probably scheduled these things out so she knew what she was doing when she was doing it. And naturally and organically, because you have these things in common um, – Real estate becomes a topic, and then you start networking. It's not about fancy scripts, guys. It's, she said earlier that she doesn't consider herself herself a salesperson, and what I think she meant was that she knows that she's a salesperson, but she doesn't feel like she's selling because she's basically being herself around people that are mostly like her, and then the transactions happen organically. So when you're at your spin class or you're at – you know Julie and I used to do, and we still do, volunteer things for French Bulldog Rescue and things like that. When you do stuff like that, you actually – you know, real estate just comes up. It just becomes a topic. It's not something you have to force. It's a natural organic conversation. It's so easy. So it's not about fancy scripts, guys. It's not about putting yourself in situations where you feel uncomfortable. It's just about being yourself around people that have common interests and that makes the biggest difference. So just you know, don't think it's about, you know, verbal jujitsu. It's not. It's just about being yourself doing what you already have some interest in. Um, so let's let's dig in, dig a little bit deeper here. Um, we talked a lot about like lead generation. That's something everyone's always 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 super interested in. If you could only do three things, Louise, for lead generation, and I'm going to even make your am going to make this question harder. And you're a new agent, brand new, you know, back get off the bus from Nashville, maybe you flew, I don't know. And you can only do three things for lead generation, what would they be?
2: Well, first thing I would do would be the same thing that I said, which is networking within my own sphere of influence, and it may only be a bunch of dancers that, you know, model and cater and etc. But I, I that would be my first action. My second action w- w- was, and still would be today, is knowledge is power. Know my market, and that oh, yeah. is that would oh, be. You know, I did not know anybody. I listen. I, it, close your eyes and have a vision. In 1988, I had a unitard on, prairie skirt, cowboy boots, and I was doing no fee re- rentals on 100, you know, up in Harlem. So, and I made $8,400 my first year. Um, thank goodness there was progression there. But the the first thing that I did was I didn't try to hide my Southern accent. I may I didn't have a lot of money. I made homemade banana bread for the doormen at Christmas at certain buildings. I and then when they had somebody ask for apartments, they would give my card to people. So it's it's acts of kindness that are not self-serving. It's being yourself. I can't keep that is something. So the second, the third and final thing would be probably um I did and I still do to I did and I still do today send out a to everyone that I know. It's probably uh, 7,000 every quarter I send out a bullet updating the market and I touch those people that I have tried to sell apartments to and that I have sold apartments to every quarter. And that and I designed it very purposefully to look like an invitation to a party. And I just have three little bullets and then a close. And well okay,
1: hold on. Hold on. I got a, that's another good idea. Yeah. So an invitation looks like a party. You're going to have to give more information on that.
2: Yeah. So I mean this was literally uh I've been doing this since I got engaged. So when I got engaged and I and imagine I have a lot of buildings that my name Louise Phillips was across these buildings and then I added Forbes to it in 2002, I thought this is how I wanted to sort of rebrand my louise Phillips forbes, and um so i I put these cards together that were square, different size, not as traditional, and I used the color of the season, so fall would be a rusted orange, winter would be a silver blue, spring would be orange, and the summer would be yellow. I'm just making these colors up, but right, um right. and then and I would put translucent you know envelopes, and I would try to put my initial at the bottom of this printed card. Sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle because you can only do so much and you have to let go. But I touched I kept people informed, which they appreciated. It wasn't a whole dissertation of information that gets, that gets too bur- you know too burdened down to
1: even read. Well, so here's the, the – obviously that idea really works. That's something that, uh, we suggest to coaching clients as well. And, and it works especially good – or, I mean, really it really works any time of year. You've proven that. But during the holidays, it works really good. And if you guys are trying to get any card or direct mail piece opened, make it look like an invitation. Now, you and where do I get this? It sounds really expensive, blah, blah, blah. It's not that expensive, but you just have to be creative. Don't know if this company's still around. They probably are. It's called Paper Plus. So you can go to their website, you can go to their stores, and you can buy all this stuff. It's where printers go to buy cardstock, and then you can have stuff professionally printed. And like, if you're doing, like, if Louise, I'm sure she's done this, when you're doing a an open house at a really nice unit in that really nice building, if you just do what every other is doing, you know, you just maybe do a postcard or you just do a bunch of signs and you you know, hammer the building, you know, mail all the buildings around, no one's going to show up. But if you, because they're not, they're just going to see it as junk mail. They're not even going to acknowledge it. But if you mail them something that looks like an invitation, you know, an invitation with a, a self-affixed stamp it doesn't have a metered stamp, you don't have a broker's, you know, you, it looks like a real invitation to something. And then they're going to open it. And then they're going to see that Louise Forbes is doing this, uh, you know, special open house at 123 Park Place and it's going to have, you know, this little whatever, whatever, things that they're going to want to attend, and then they show up. And then you basically sell units, and you get the word out that you're somebody that goes the extra mile and really does a fantastic job for your sellers. Guys, generally speaking, the difference between a mega agent like Louise and the difference between everybody else, she isn't doing – it's not a 100% difference, it's 10% difference. It's these little types of things that we're talking about. It's that, like, she doesn't just do the spinning class. She'll go out and do, like – four or five other things, too, that she loves and has passion for, thus having more impact on more people. It's the little tiny things. And if you guys just put 10% more effort in virtually everything you do, trust me, all those little 10% amounts will change your life. And uh, really, she's a, a testament to that. So what other, like, if you had to say, if there's a new agent that called you after today's interview, which might very well happen... Um, and they're asking you, so I want to get started in a, you know, we talked about the th- things you do for lead generation. So those are the things that have worked for you. What would be some things that you would suggest, say like two or three things that you would suggest agents avoid uh, doing or things that maybe mistakes that you've made that you want to help other people avoid?
2: I would suggest to in, actions that you can take to avoid um, would be, for myself, I have to remind myself to not over schedule myself and to um, let me think about that, Tim, because I don't want to. I, I really want to think about what actions. Um, like I said, I, well, I, just,
1: I, what what are things you okay. see agents doing when they get into your marketplace that doesn't that don't work that, that you wish you know maybe they someone had told them that maybe that isn't the smartest thing to do. If you want to make it a little bit more, you know, the question less general. Like what are some things you see agents doing that um you know from experience don't work, but you still see people wasting time on them? Any specific things come to mind
2: I would uh, first and foremost, not being educated to that specific market. I mean nothing drives me crazier when someone launches a listing without photos, launches a listing without <laughs> details like when did they do when was the roof replaced i I mean I have a full piece of information that if I'm selling a a townhouse or an individual apartment, it is my responsibility to know the history of the building, to know what construction has been done. I make it my business, and it's very um, unimpressive when my client, my customer, my buyer comes to an apartment and says, do the wood-burning fireplaces work? Um, I don't know. Let me confirm that. I'll get back to you.
1: Yeah, I absolutely completely agree. And you, you said this earlier too, and it's really important. Not just know the product that you're selling. That just seems like everyone should be doing, but certainly not very many agents actually do take the time to know the product. But also know the marketplace, know the direction, know what's selling, know the price ranges, know why, you know, this one sold for this per square foot and this one sold for that. Know it like the back of your hand. New agents out there, and this, you know, the problem is, is when when we start to get a little bit more successful, we get complacent and we start basically falling behind in market knowledge. But having market knowledge of knowing exactly what's happening, especially in an incredible market like Manhattan, that is really it gives you an unfair advantage when you're, up, you're talking to sellers or buyers. Because when you're in line at Starbucks or whatever and someone's asking you a specific question, dude, you, you have it down. They're going to remember that you have Absolutely. that level of expertise. Yep, that makes a huge I, I'm difference. Make- I'm glad you mentioned that again and again because that really is important. And I want to make a suggestion to all new
2: and seasoned brokers that are listening. I found it imperative, and it's a part of everybody on my team, our business practice. When we are asked to come in and look at an apartment to list or a home to list, I do an extensive analysis that is not just a bunch of listings and links put together. I put together price per square foot and I try to analyze what was what renovation needed to be done if I have it's the active comps but it's also the contract signed and what that contract signed price is which is an opportunity for us to be in touch with one another so I have built a huge um, I have gained a great reputation of being really generous with my knowledge um, where people will call me, Louise, did you hear what what's her name got for that townhouse? She doesn't want to share the price for me. And wh- quite frankly, that person told me what it is. I will share it with them because what goes around comes around, and we should want to do anything and everything to make each other soar and look successful and smart and on our game because. When you're sitting in front of the negotiation table, the negotiating table and there are multiple bids, that broker is gonna remember that thoughtful act of kindness
1: that you gave. Lastly oh, that, But that's one of the that's well just not to interrupt you, but that really again yeah. these are these are things that you guys have been exposed to and you know, here you're hearing it from a gal who sold, you know, over two billion dollars worth of real estate. You might wanna be listening to what she's saying. Um, because it really is true. This is how you have longevity in a career. This is how basically you earn literally millions of dollars in personal income by having this mindset. So often, especially you new guys, you guys come into the marketplace and you have this bowl in the China shop mentality. And that's not, you might get some deals and you might, you know, win some things you wouldn't have otherwise won because of the fact you had that mindset. But longevity is going to be a challenge because the other agents are going to avoid you. They're going to avoid your listings. They're going to avoid just, it's not the way to build relationships. And now, that's, this is, again, I keep saying this, but it's true. When you live in a little microcosm like Manhattan, and some of you guys sell in these little areas, you know, that are very, uh, you know, they're, they're big. they are thousands of people, millions of people, but they're actually really small villages like Manhattan. You, you live and die by your reputation in the community. Your relationships with these agents, they can go decades and decades and decades. The buyers and sellers, you know, they come and go. So just be considering how you treat other people. And, you know, sometimes you guys see these things, especially like some of our coaching clients and our superstars are on, like, Selling New York and, you know, Million Dollar listing and all that. And you see them having these knockdowns. Guys, that's for the cameras. That's just, you know, made-up drama. Some of it's real, of course. But, you know, the reality of it is is you're successful when you have the mindset like Louise does. Hopefully I didn't uh, make you forget your third point. (laughs)
2: No, no, well, I wanted to just say a couple of other things that so once you've done this full analysis and you've taken this painstaking time to dial for information because you can't really email and say, What did you what are you in contract for? They're not gonna they don't want to answer it in writing. So you have to actually get them on the phone. That that document that you give your seller, which by the way, is one of the most crucial assets that you will have because pricing is everything in a market that has sort of some uncertainty going on then Mm -hmm. what happens to be that piece of that that asset that I've created for the seller, sometimes we don't don't get to invite who's going to bring the right buyer. Sometimes there's an agent that is representing their sister, and they've been in the business for 12 minutes. And I can treat them with great respect and lead them to help educate and broker and i say let's broker this together let me share my information i have so you can be really informed for your buyer and you right. will they'll will look great so i say listen this house across the street is in contract for 1485 a foot we're asking 1466 i do not expect having to negotiate but listen everything's about timing what what else can i get for you And that, first of all, is disarming to them, and they then are aligned to try. There's an element of trust,
1: and well, you're educating. You're educating them. You're helping. You're doing essentially their. You know, we can't assume that the buyer's agents are going to go and do the cost per square foot and know the market as well as you do because it's your listing. And what you're doing without offending them, without basically getting into an ego battle with them, is you're nicely and kindly with a lot of class, obviously, giving them information that they'll present back to their buyers. And, you know, that will hopefully help them make a sale because it's the buyers, too. They're, you know, they're ultimately the ones that are signing the contract. You mentioned something there. Market, New York, Manhattan. Um, A lot of uncertainty, especially in the upper end stuff. It's really, really changed noticeably in the past 18 months. What do you see happening? What's selling? What's not? For the fellow agents that are trying to basically follow in your footsteps in your marketplace, what do you see happening in the marketplace over the next, say, 90 days, six months?
2: Uh, I think that the closer we get to the election and once we get the election behind us, I think there is already in this third quarter a level of confidence that the first two quarters of 2016 created a pause button. We had – and let Mm -hmm. me just remind you what January brought us. It brought us an uncertainty in China it brought us a tremendous amount of volatility in our stock market it brought us terrorism both domestically and internationally with some vigor and this crazy presidential campaign process that we've been all living um every day which was not a very you know confident uh i, I it's wasn't not even confident inspiring no it's but definitely not But Inspiring. will confident. Tell you,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Tracking my market since two thousand and ten, which is the bottom of the market from the Great Recession, we have had such tremendous growth and acceleration that I personally think the market in two thousand and fifteen was way over frothy and you know that reality is a healthy reality. The elongated sales cycle is healthy. The cycles that we experience from history and have witnessed from history, we have to learn that we should not be fearful. We have to still analyze what's right for our client at that moment. I am telling every single one of my buyers, make a 10-year buy now. Now, yes, but what if the market comes back? Well, are you going to get interest, a 30-year loan for
1: 2.75% for your $10 million house? Exactly, and you know the funny thing too well I mean listeners, listen, do you hear how she basically had uh, her wrap down perfectly with regards to basically the market? Did you guys hear how she took us all the way back in January and she was not just talking locally for her local buyers and sellers but also internationally? Do you guys hear how she had all, she tied in all this international stuff with the local market? Okay, you got to be able to sound. And did you notice that her voice changed when she was talking about this stuff? I mean, she sounded, you know, authority, powerful. Mimic that, copy that. But that you can't fake that. That only comes from knowing your market. That only comes from actually not just studying the MLS statistics but listening to the concerns of the buyers and the sellers now most of us aren't in a market that's as complicated as manhattan is with all the moving parts and the price points and the cost per square foot and the this view is worth that that view is worth the other you know so there's so many little details in that market you know how do you get this one's a doorman building this one has ridiculous fees this one's this this one's that so in that market yeah it takes a lot longer to learn it for most of it most of us, much easier to learn your market, but knowing and having a master level uh, knowledge of your market, absolutely critical. So we're over time. I'm sure all of our listeners loved what you had to say. Some of them, hopefully, will have wonderful referrals for you. Uh, do you mind sharing your contact information with our listeners?
2: My pleasure. First of all, my website is www.louisephillipsforbes.com and I, my email is Phillips at Halstead H A L S T E A D dot com. And what else can I get for you?
1: Um phone number? Nine one
2: seven. Absolutely. Uh two one two three eight one three three two nine.
1: So for all of our great Halstead clients, we have clients that are I'm sorry, yeah, coaching clients in Connecticut and York Guys, that is one of the the greatest brands, real estate brands in that neck of the woods in that part of the country, very professionally run. One of the things I love about your guys' brokerage is how well your owners and your managers do it, keeping all the agents educated by what's happening, and they give you guys the truth. You know, my agents up in Greenwich, and I talk to them, and they're telling me, what they just had an office meeting and the office manager or the owner came in and gave them the information about what was actually happening in the marketplace. And it wasn't just raw, raw, feel-good stuff. It was like, this is what's happening. This is how you have to prepare your buyers and sellers. So brokers, office managers, tell your agents the truth so they can be better prepared and lose the mindset you can only sell real estate and be successful when you know, all ships are rising. The truth is, when you have a master level skill set like Louise, you can be successful regardless of what direction the market's going. Uh, guys, I didn't mention it because Louise and I We're just rocking on uh, today's interview. But If you've uh, not yet grabbed your free books, make sure you fill out that form that's right there on your mobile device. Fill out your name, your email address, your phone number, and we'll give you all six of those books for free. Um, And when you do, you're also going to get a call back from someone from our staff to let you know about the Premier Coaching Program, that when you use the student approval program, it's only $99 a month. So, Louise, listen, I really appreciate very much the time you took uh, to uh, spend educating all of our listeners You are absolutely positively one of the greatest agents uh, in the country, and I wish you nothing but continued success. And, again, I appreciate the fact that you are so open to sharing your experience and helping me to motivate and educate and hopefully get these guys into action.
2: Amen. Thank you. My pleasure. I look forward to the next time,
1: Tim. Absolutely. Have a great day, everyone. We'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. Bye now. Bye-bye.